0: everyone learns differently everyone reacts to challenges differently reacts to feedback differently so i'm always about meeting a person where they are you're listening to the building a coaching culture podcast if you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice this podcast is for you each week we share leadership development coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter.
1: Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm J.R. Flatter. Our special guest today, our distinguished guest is Doug. Doug, I'll let you introduce yourself. You're much better at that than I ever could be, so, you know, take a couple minutes and let our listeners know who you are. I'll give you just a quick description. Anybody who is thinking about becoming a coach, anybody who's leading an organization that they want to have a coaching culture, and I know you come from a cyber background, so it's especially relevant to to leading. And so anybody who's trying to build and deepen their leadership bench or do culture development, so uh, anything and everything related to those topics, is what we're interested in hearing. So take a couple minutes and let us know who
0: you are. Thanks, Jar, and thanks for the opportunity to to participate today. I, I greatly appreciate the invitation. So a little bit about myself. I am a uh, Marine veteran. I uh, served 27 years in the Marine Corps, primarily was in the uh, communication and information uh, system space. Later in the latter part of my career, I started to get more deeper into cyberspace. As I saw that was the way that the, uh, kind of the, the tech was going. I've been throughout my Marine Corps career in several leadership positions. Started off as a platoon commander u- leading small units. And then throughout the latter part of my re- uh, career, leading Marine Corps cyberspace operations group, which had over a thousand government civilians, Marines, and uh, contractors globally dispersed. I transitioned, retired in the, uh, August of 2020, and went to work for VMware for a year. There, you know, between a transition, you go from, you know, leading large groups of Marines to being an individual contributor, different experience there, being a part now of the, the corporate culture. And so that was a great um, learning point for me, got my uh, feet grounded in the, uh, the private sector. And then an opportunity opened up with SAP NS2 back in July of last year. And so I transitioned there. And now I lead the multi-tenant cloud operations, engineering, delivery, and operations for that for that team. So back in a leadership role and you know different culture, different experience, but it adds to that repertoire of uh, overall experience. So.
1: I hear the word cybersecurity a lot, but I have very little understanding of what it means. And I'll introduce Lucas as our co-host. Sorry, I didn't introduce you earlier, Lucas. Part of the reason Lucas is here is he's a, a millennial, I'm a Boomer. Benji, you fall somewhere in between those two. So we like an intergenerational dialogue. So Lucas will jump in uh, whenever the urge hits him. But talk to us a little bit about cybersecurity, maybe from a technical
0: perspective, a little bit, but from a people's perspective. Who are cybersecurity experts? So that's a great question. So cyberspace on a technical side, and not to to go too down too far down a rabbit hole, but in simple terms. Cybersecurity is is basically more of a science around securing data. So there's a proliferation of data out there, and it could be corporate data, intellectual property, it could be personal data. And so that's really what the heart and the genesis of it is. And at the you know, you have a defensive mindset um, in a large portion for cybersecurity, meaning you're defending that data, either, you know, if it's internal to a corporate network, or you know, globally dispersed, and it affects everyone, right? So it's the private sector, energy sector, financial sector, the military, obviously, and then you also have an offensive side of the house, mainly and only action by the the military under certain regulations, obviously. But that's more of a aggressive action, depending on what the political aims of the, the U.S. are and against their adversaries. So to me, it's a it's a chess match. It's a constant struggle between an adversary and that could be a nation state actor or it could be, you know, the teenager who's well versed in uh, small uh, actions and activities to disrupt any corporation and uh, disrupt their ability to perform. So that's kind of what cybersecurity is from the from the human aspect of it. Cyber professionals are those who have taken up that charge to. Help defend, right? So everyone has a professional or desired professional skill, and and set that they uh, acquire through life, and and apply those skills uh, appropriately. In in this particular domain, it requires someone who is a a, a thinker, right? And like I said, I, I equate it to a chess match. Someone who is a, is a strategist. If you just play straight defense all the time or, or man-to-man defense, you're liable to to lose out. So sometimes you have to play zone. You have to look at several aspects of adversarial actions, and it, it's not just a singular attack at any given time. So you have to play across a wide playing field. And so cyber professionals have really taken hold in this space and in this domain in recent years. And obviously, you know, managing that talent, acquiring that talent is something that it, Every, every corporation, even the military, struggles with. And there's definitely a shortage of that talent. And as you can see, programs are now starting to develop in colleges and even as young as in elementary and high school. So developing that talent, I think, is, is, is very important. But those individuals are true, true stewards and true you know, patriots at the end of the day. They're actually out there on the front line. Protecting you and I from data exposure, our personal data, as we all know, can be, can be very costly, damaging reputationally, and, and, and so forth.
1: So, if I have a team of cyber experts, or, or I want to make them experts in cybersecurity, so you've been a commanding officer of cyber professionals at different levels. What, is it, what, do, you got to do, what do you got to do to be a leader of cyber
0: experts, So one, um, what I've learned is you have actually has to have the, uh, professional bona fides, right? To, to, to lead, because at the end of the day, you have to understand their language, uh, their vernacular, their mindset. And so growing up and having your roots in, in, in that playing field gives you sort of the credibility to be able to operate and, and lead amongst them. Again, some, some great professionals I've had the opportunity to lead over, over my career. Just like with anything else, you have to build that trust. And I think that's the foundation that's common amongst uh, you know any type of leadership role or engagement that you have. Gaining that trust, and trust is a two-way street. But once the individuals or the team knows that you're part and you're looking out for, one, their best interests, as well as that of the organization, you can do a lot of great things You know, at that point. You become one as a as a team, looking out for commonality for the greater good. You have to invest in them, right? Because training in this space is continuous. If you rely on education or experience that you had decades ago, it's obsolete, you know. <laughs> so constantly investing in that talent, showing that level of, of of appreciation, giving them opportunities to to think outside of the box, to challenge them, and to empower them. It's ways that I've found that brings out the best in their capabilities overall. Not not any one person has all of the answers, especially in this space. It's definitely based on experience. And sometimes you see a unique issue that uh, someone may have, have already seen or addressed. Or it takes a, a team effort, collective team effort to whiteboard and say, OK, this is what we think is going on. How best to uh, address this. So those are some of the things that I think that uh, helps in a leadership role, especially building in this technical space, right? Building that trust, empowering the team and investing in them, right? Showing them that that you do value what they do, because a lot of it is behind the scenes. It's not the stuff that is very high profile. You know it when it doesn't work, right? Because mm-hmm. then you hear about the breaches, but it's, you know, it's the actions and activities behind the curtain that are that are truly the Herculean effort.
1: What are you thinking, Lucas, as you're listening to
2: Doug? It kind of comes up a lot, but even though like the job itself can be very technical, like the management of people is, you know, you're not dealing with computers or robots. So I like what you said about, you know, showing the appreciation and something that I notice a lot on our development teams is we set up meetings specifically to like, okay, now we're going to be honest with each other and, you know. It's a retrospective, so we're looking back on the last two weeks and telling each other, you know, what what can we improve and what are we doing well and stuff like that. So, kind of setting up the structure outside of the technical analytical day to day job to have those, you know, more vulnerable conversations is important. I think. Yeah, I think
0: that that's uh, that's very important, right? Yeah, at the end of the day, and that goes back to the trust factor, right? You have to understand. Because mistakes are going to get made, right? And I always tell my team, look, I'm not looking to cast shame upon anyone, right? We're all human. We all make mistakes. But it's learning from those mistakes is really what what, what truly matters. And so when you demonstrate that, right, and someone makes a mistake, it's like, hey, let's have a conversation about it. Let's have a you know, discussion about it. You know, remove the names. Just talk about the scenario. Um, attack the idea, not the person. And uh, I think you can... You can go far away in that because then people are not working on eggshells, you know, trying to avoid making the mistakes or hiding those mistakes, which only really gets compounded, especially in this space, right, because we're all so interconnected. You make a misconfiguration on a server. The enemy is constantly trying to penetrate your defense, and that could be the, the golden ticket that they need. So you want to make sure that, one, everyone's working collectively as a team. You have a, a second set of eyes on on things that you're doing, but you bring up a great point, right? And my daughter is a, a recent college graduate. she's now in this uh, i.t. space as a project manager. So we have this this constant conversation about what she sees and works in a workplace and based on my decades of experience and you know trying to help her, you know as she starts off in, in, in her career. So there is that generational gap. I've been blessed because my you know, I, I get to live with it, you know, on a daily basis. So I try to bring that into the workspace as well. Because everyone learns differently, everyone, you know, kind of reacts to challenges differently, reacts to feedback differently. So I'm always about meeting a person where they are. And that means where they're in life, you know, what their family dynamic is, what their personal dynamic is, you know, those challenges that they may have going on what their career aspirations are, and trying to facilitate that for them so that they can achieve the ultimate success that they're trying to, to go after.
1: So you're now in the corporate world in a pretty big company. How How did you transition? How, does you, how is leadership different
0: in SAP than it was in the Marine Corps? I get uh, asked that question a lot, quite honestly. The, the leadership fundamentals are the same. It's the environment that has changed in... The way you go about executing those leadership principles and traits that, that I learned in the Marine Corps. That goes back to, like I said, meeting people where they are. In the, in the Marine Corps, it's it's very hierarchical. Uh, when an order is given, there's really not much room for feedback. You know, that information is gathered beforehand, but once a decision is executed, um, given, it's immediate obeyance to orders, right? And so that's the discipline. Approach that is permeated throughout the, in the military, which is an absolute necessity. In corporate America, what I've found is it's 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 sort of the same, but I have to approach it differently. I transitioned during COVID, so that's that's always been, you know been a challenge. You know, not having the face to face interaction and, and building that human dynamic. They're looking for the same leadership, right? They want to know that the person that that's responsible for their well being. And uh, their care and feeding, you know, what their promotions look like, what their pay structure looks like. You know, all of those things matter to them. I still do the same thing that I did in the Marine Corps. It, it's a conversation. You know, we call them one on ones in, 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 in civilian world. counseling's in, in the military. Um, I still do those on a regular basis so that I can stay in touch and in tune with where that person is and what they're trying to achieve. So it's that level of empathy that, you know, carries and transcends from my time in the Marine Corps. And I can't expect to, you know, just give a direct order and there not be some questions or or feedback. So I've had to adjust myself in that mindset as well. But that has helped me grow as an individual as well, because we all have blind spots and my team has, has been great. They know that I'm transitioning, so they don't necessarily expect me to know all of the aspects by which they've grew up in their decades of experience in this environment. But they know that I, you know, have the leadership potential, right? I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm, I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and and assist in any and all efforts. So you know, when we do get on troubleshooting calls, and I'm listening and I'm learning and I'm asking you know, pertinent questions, you become part of the team, right? And, and, and not a, a blocker of sorts. So I have, you know, that that those principles and traits that I've learned in the Marine Corps, I've applied them. I again, it's not as straightforward and direct. Sometimes it has to get to that to that point. Right. Like, you know, hey, I'm looking for input, but once the decision is made, but the same principles. Right. I don't go to my team and say, hey, the boss says we have to do this. This is what we need to do. And this is the reason why. So it's it's sort of the same, but just not as direct and as pointed because there's has this thing called HR and there's these <laughs> things called grievances. Um, that you definitely want to stay out of that, out of that limelight. So you
1: said something that that we talk a lot about here at Two Roads Leadership, and that is being a lifelong learner. What does that mean in real terms to be a lifelong learner?
0: We all based on our experience. Right. So my undergraduate and graduate uh, degrees are in computer science, so very technical. Uh, My real-world experience, I was in the Marine Corps, so that's coupled with leadership and the soft skills as well. I also have a degree from National War College in National Security Strategy. So when I look at problems, I don't look at them in isolation. You know, a lot of these things, when you talk about even in cybersecurity, right, even the actions and activities that are going on um, between Russia and Ukraine right now and what the U.S. national interests are, that's pertinent to me, right, Mm -hmm. because you you can always, in my, in, you know, based on experience, you can always draw a direct line between U.S. political interest and, you know, national security interest and what our known adversaries um, are, are doing. Right. So, you know, you've probably seen articles recently about Russia and what they're, you know, starting to, to show up and in, in, in become more aggressive in, in their actions in, in, in this domain. So when you talk about lifelong learning, to me, it's not necessarily just straight technical. I, I have done that. I continue to stay in conferences or take classes. Um, now in the business world, right, it's, it's a little bit different. So I have to learn more the business aspect of it, which means accounting, financials, profit and loss, something we didn't worry about in the Marine Corps, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you got a budget and you spent it in an effort to get more the next year. Right, mm-hmm. you, you can't apply that in in corporate America. You won't last very long if you, if you did apply that. Um, so that's really, you know, like I said, it's it's situational. I have to make sure I fill in those knowledge gaps along the way, and also revisit those things that I've learned because things change over time, especially in the technical space. And even for me, in in this space, right, seeking out coaching and mentoring for me because mm-hmm. this is a whole new environment for me. And luckily, I have a great network of coaches and mentors that have known me for decades and are willing to, to you know help shore me up as I enter in this space and and uh, start my my corporate uh, career. So I'm always in a class, always reading. And I think it's a great example for my kids too, when they see dad reading. So I'm not mm-hmm. asking them to do something that I'm not willing to do, which I think is another mm-hmm. great uh, leadership attribute.
1: So I don't want to put you on the spot. So I, I, this isn't a pop quiz, but what should I be reading if I want to be a leader of cyber experts?
0: So if you just look in, in, you know what's going on right now. I wouldn't say that it's, it's one thing. Obviously, one of the things that the the current administration is trying to achieve is to make sure everyone that operates, which is Across you know all of different uh, sectors of, of uh, corporate America as well as uh, federal agencies to include the, uh, the military, right? Take cybersecurity very very important as a very important factor, right? And we all in this together. Like I said, this is we are inextricably linked together in this in this in this effort. So I think what the, the administration um, has done, you know, fairly good job. Leaving politics aside. But has really, you know, given some great guidance to the federal agencies about zero trust and the zero trust mm. architecture. Right. So what that means is, you know, the, the normal, the old paradigm was, you know, you get your credentials, username, password, you get access to the network and you kind of go unfettered. Right. I mean, you, you do what you need to do, but sometimes folks will creep outside of their role and and, and, and that sort. Right. But what that allows is for an adversary who gets into that network to gain those those credentials, escalate privilege, move laterally throughout the network. Right. So zero trust means exactly that. You trust no one. Right. And you constantly checking those credentials to make sure that it's, it's matched against the roles that they're you know, supposed to have. They're not able to escalate privilege. They're not able to, you know, move laterally, they, they, are, they can do what their role has been defined for them to do, right? So if you can get, you know, well-versed in what that architecture means and that, what that mindset means, because it's not a, it's not a uh, like a tool, it's not something, you know, if someone walks up to any organization and say, hey, I have your zero trust here, <laughs> you know, ready to sell you, you should definitely just walk away very quickly, um, Because they obviously don't understand. Right. I mean, it has to do with everything from identity management, federated identity, you know, role based access control, all of those all of those things. Right. So if you are in this space, having a good idea of what that means will set you up very, very well. Obviously, the fundamentals of networking and security are absolutely uh, foundational. You know, as a sidebar, I'm, I live in Stafford County. And my son is going into high school next year and they are now offering a dual enrollment cybersecurity track with Germana Community College. He's always been interested in IT more of a, on a gaming side. And when he asked, hey, dad, can I get a gaming computer so you can build one? Right? <laughs> we can we can do this together and make it a learning point. Right. And so fostering that that, you know, innovation and excitement mm-hmm. in the space. So I, I say that to say these, these young men and women are going to come out much more prepared than I was starting out in my career. And, you know, in high school for me, taking computer class was really a keyboarding class, right? Mm-hmm. It really it didn't have anything to do with programming. Didn't have anything to, to, to do with the, what computers meant because um, obviously that was uh, pre-internet. So, but yeah, if you can basically learn up the, the fundamentals of networking security fundamentals and then, you know some of the the main initiatives that are ongoing with zero trust I think you'll be well positioned in this space. So
1: IT aside, technology aside, leader development, what should I be
0: reading? So in, in that regard, to me I like to get a wide range of leadership philosophies. Obviously, you have, you know, that from the military, you know, mindset, um, strategy. Strategy is something that, you know, permeates everything that we do. I mean, if if you're negotiating for a car, right, you have to go into it with a strategy, with a plan to understand what your desired end state is. Otherwise, the salesman gets the the advantage, right? Mm -hmm. Likewise, I love sports, right? So Tony Dungy, you know, has has a lot of great um, insight when it comes to, Leadership as a father, right? Also as a coach, you know, having seen you know player development now from the collegiate to the uh, professional ranks, and then now you know as a sportscaster. So I think he has a, a great perspective. One of my uh, all-time favorites um, is General Colin Powell and his Powell Principles. His insight and wisdom, and the way he addresses you know life's challenges, given the time that he became an officer in the time, you know, during that time frame, but to rise up to a four star general, you know, become secretary of state. I mean, that that to me, in that wide spanse of his experiences, there's so much to draw from, you know, his time in the White House as well. So to me, I I, you know, I, I try to cover a wide spanse because like I said, everyone has a different perspective and then trying to relate those to everyday living, right? In everyday life, in a workplace, In my own home. Cool.
1: Lucas, what are you thinking?
2: Just thinking about, you know, how you can kind of like going from the lifelong learning to, you know, talking about your son interested in IT through games. I think like games particularly can be a really good entryway into, you know, computer literacy, which is really cool because, you know, it's this application that you can see and that you can enjoy. And and then if you take a step back from the game and say, okay, how does that work? And kind of, instead of just going into the product itself and and trying to see, you know, how can I make something like this? It's really cool. And that's actually kind of a path I took when I went to college. It went into game development initially. What do you think about, you know, the entry of like, into video games and like cybersecurity. Is there like a connection there? What would you tell your son, I guess, in that case? Oh,
0: absolutely. I think in the Marine Corps has kind of figured this out as well. I love the Marine Corps, but sometimes we, we're late to the occasion, right? Now, and it doesn't matter if it's a social aspect of it. Marines like the Marine Corps likes to learn and observe through others, right? See where their failures are and learn and grow from that. And so, it recently developed a cyber workforce that was after years of discussion, obviously, you know, still being debated amongst the, the current regime as well as, you know, retired general officers. You know, are we fighting with tanks or are we fighting with keyboards? Right. And so there's always that, that tension. But part of it is when they developed this uh, cyberspace is they noticed that a lot of the, the more prof- proficient cybersecurity experts came out of the gaming field. One, in order to be successful in that game, you have to have strategy, right? You have to understand, you have to have situational awareness. Gamers often know that, hey, if I want to compete, especially in online gaming, I can't go in with a, you know, 64, you know, Commodore 64 and expect to go up against these whiz-bang individuals with these souped up uh, machines. And so you start to understand what memory is, what hard drive space is, what you know, computer speed is. And and that's so I think, you know, they have the fundamentals of knowing what that physical device means and what the components uh you know of it are. So I think that that's a, a great example. And what I've tried to, you know, relate to my, you know all of my kids, right? I don't I don't solve problems for them because that doesn't do them any good. That just Makes them more dependent on me, which I am not trying to to, to have. So, you know, it's it's about showing them how to solve those problems themselves. My other son, who's getting ready to graduate next month from Embry-Riddle, has loved aviation since he was five. I mean, he told me he wanted to be a pilot. But that meant that, hey, son, you know, that that's very, you know, Science intensive, right so that means you need to be taking these classes, math classes. It's just not about the joy of going out there you know with a joystick, but also very mechanical and so he's you know developed a love of, of you know working on on cars and, and having that mechanical mindset so that's what I try to do as you know try to figure out where their desires are and help foster that to help build that and you know likewise in, in, in the, work, the workplace as well. But I think gaming, even for my uh, older son, who's now getting ready to graduate as a pilot, he spent a lot of time, you know, landing you know, aircraft, you know, aircraft on aircraft carrier gaming wise. But that has made him very proficient in his academics. Right. And as well as his flying experience, people sometimes are opposed to gaming. I think too much of it, too much of anything is not a good thing, but sometimes it can be used as an incentive. And it's how you apply that to, to continue to motivate, um, especially youthful individuals. You're not going to do away with it. Um, otherwise, you're just going to have a rebellious you know, individual that's going to sneak around and do it. So. so I heard you
1: mention a few minutes ago, I was real happy to hear you mention this. Coaching, being coached, knowing coaches, understanding coaching. Talk to us a little bit about that, your appreciation
0: for that and your knowledge of it. Whatever comes to mind. For me, coaching is very personal. And like I tell anyone, you know, that I, it's a relationship, right? Just like any other. And it requires the individual who is being coached, right? To have a, a clear understanding of what their desired goals are. Because as a coach, I can only help you aspire to what it is you want to achieve. I can't define that for you. I can help you once you once you've identified that I can help you develop those things for you. But it it has to be something that you want. Right. Uh, the coach can't want it more than the player, per se, in, in, in this case. But if you want to be a star athlete, we can tell you exactly what it's going to take to get there. Right. And provide you the tools in order to capitalize on, on your skill sets. Now, in some cases, you know, what your desire in state is may not necessarily you know, match reality. So you have to have the ability to have no kidding, honest conversation and dialogue in any coaching situation. Right. When I am being coached, I am I'm very clear about what it is I'm trying to achieve. I'm very open to the insights and the guidance that is being offered to me. I repeat that back to the individual so they know that I, I am listening and absorbing what it is that they're saying. I report back to them on, you know, how I'm doing to maintain that that relationship. And, they, and so they, they know that, you know, they're not wasting time. They want to see, you know, sort of the fruits of their labor, you know, bloom and grow as well. And it's all about, you know, allowing the individual to reach their full potential. Sometimes it's, it's task and performance-based, hey- You know, these are the things that you need to do, you know, timeline, you know, so you can start to see and make sure that the individual is is on track and on target. And I couple that, you know, with mentoring as well. Right. And again, not to get into semantics and there are differences, me just sharing my knowledge with you about my experiences, you know, so you can learn from them. That's mentoring. Right. You know, vice, you know, being very principled, you know, based on what it is you're trying to do. Giving you guidance, you know, that's coaching. And so to me, like I said, in either case, and especially in mentoring, the mentor has to care much more about the mentee than they care about themselves, right? And you have to, because it's very giving, right? It's, it's In either case, you coaching or mentoring, you're giving a lot of yourself if you're the coach or the mentor. And so you need to pick wisely. And as I tell folks all the time, no one can pick a coach for me or a mentor for me. We tried that in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. and it failed miserably. You know, someone says, "I'm going to sign you." You know, this is your coach. That person may have a, a a totally different perspective in life that matches nothing that I'm familiar with, zero experiential, you know, overlap. So it becomes very you know awkward from from the very beginning. Now, if you allow me to pick my coach and my mentor, which I have throughout my career, that's a much better experience. Right. Because I can see something in that person that draws me to what it is I'm trying to achieve. Right. I see the way they carry themselves, the experiences that they've had, the success that they've had, the success that I'm trying to achieve. And we can have those 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 conversations. And it's not just about in a professional workplace. Right. Um, you, know, you know, as a husband. There's no, rule, there's no book that you, you know, but I see other successful fathers, right? And so I try to surround myself with individuals who are of like mind, right? You want to have a successful marriage? Surround yourself with people who have successful marriages. And so it, it kind of, you know, permeates, you know, across all all facts for me in whatever it is that I'm, I'm trying to achieve. But again, you know, ultimately, you know, whether it's the the player being coached or client being coached or the 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 mentee that relationship is built on trust right whatever I tell my coach whatever I tell my mentors I can be open with them right I can I can lower all barriers they need to know what's going on in Doug's mind what barriers I think that I have what limitations I think that I have so that they can allow me and assist me to get to my full potential. And what I tell folks all the time, it's just not one person that can do that for you. Having several coaches and mentors, to me, is is critical because you get a different perspective. And for me now in corporate America, right, and when I was in the military, obviously I had military you know, senior officers that that stepped up and wanted to fill that, that need for me. Thankfully, later in my career, I started to make connections in the corporate America, which little did I know how important that would be, you know, as I transitioned. And so I can talk to them about opportunities in corporate America. It's it's not like you know in the military where you're told to go every three years. You know, they call it orders for a reason. You know, in corporate America, as I tell everyone, you you're a free agent. And so making sure you have your best interests and your family's best interests at heart, and how you manage that, it is very important. Salary negotiation—you don't get that in the Marine Corps. You get it. you, you know—Congress tells you <laughs> that mm-hmm. there's no negotiating with Congress. But you know, going through that and, and you know, mock interviews and mock salary negotiations, all of that is coaching. It's filling a need um, for that individual because the coach has already gone through it, right, like, and, and wants to share. That experience. So this is something you know I'm very passionate about. I I often give up my time. I I call it uh, paying it forward because I've been very blessed in my life, and I think that's the way God continues to bless you when you use those blessings to benefit others. Mm -hmm. So that's my my take on it.
1: No, thank you for that. So here we are, well into the 21st century. You said earlier, and, and I agree with you, the fundamentals of leadership remain constant, but. Here in the well into the 21st century, people's expectations of their organizations are changing. You, you called it the uh, free agent to the gig economy, the freelance economy. How do I build a culture that will attract and retain talent in that environment?
0: Yes. And so one of the things I did when I was transitioning is I conducted a ton of informational interviews because this was an unknown Space for me in several different corporations, and one of the key things I wanted to uh, uh, determine and assess is what the culture of that organization was like. Marine Corps has a culture; I've been in it for decades. I knew what that was. I knew what to expect. And each organization has a different culture, so that was very important to me. It wasn't always just about you know the salary. You know, you can make a great salary and be in a place where you know <laughs> the work environment is abysmal. And so that's always one of the things that I assess is that culture. At VMware, they had what they called the power of diversity pods. And it was a pod for every demographic that you can possibly think of. The goal was for people to feel comfortable in their own skin mm. coming into work, right? It didn't matter if you were a veteran, it didn't matter if you were black. If you were from the LBGQT community, it didn't matter, right? You were going to feel as though you were represented up to the most senior ranks in that company, right? Because all of those pods had an executive sponsor. That spoke volumes to me because they were putting their money where their mouth is, right? They're not just saying that we have a great culture. They're demonstrating that they have a great culture. They were very transparent in what their diversity, equity, and inclusion profile looked like. It's on their website. I don't know if it's still out there, but it, you know, at the time it was out there, so you can actually see, you know, what they were doing and in, in the change that they were that they were trying to make. Likewise, in my current organization, um, smaller scale than than VMware, but still, we have employee resource groups for that same, you know, mindset. Right, so. To make sure that people feel comfortable in that space, people don't leave organizations um, they leave because of bad managers and bad leadership. They're not chasing you know a dollar or anything like that. They leave because the environment is not conducive to professional growth and maturation, right It's not filling that need where they feel valued, where they feel empowered, where they feel valued. That's the reason why people lead. And so if you can create that environment for individuals and make them part of that solution, I think that's a, a winning plan. And so in order to do that, right, you you constantly have to have touch points with your team that you're responsible for. And obviously the more soon you become, you're leading through others, right? So making sure that you know you have a clear plan and vision that everyone understands what you're trying to achieve and what their role in that is and making sure they understand the importance of their contributions in that effort, because we're all human, right? I don't think people wake up saying, Oh, I I need to work for an accolade today, (laughs) but it sure is nice when, when someone recognizes that, right. And it's unsolicited. So in, I think, in, especially in this day and age where you have a generational, and you described it very early in, in this discussion, right? You have very, you know, the senior levels of a corporation and you have young men winning coming out of college. And so that experience and what they're expecting and, you know, the seniors of what they've experienced, you know, going through their corporate career, vice with what that young man or woman is expecting, they don't necessarily have the time and the patience <laughs> to do you know, 10, 15 years to get to where it is they want to go, right? They want to see some level of gain early on. So understanding that and making sure, you know, you're in tune to what their career aspirations are, I think is very important. So for me, I treat people the way I want to be treated, right? With dignity and respect, compassion and empathy. Those are important. When I have individuals who have, you know, personal issues, you know, whether it was their family I take that personally. I check up on them. I check up on to see how their family members are doing. Little things when it's their birthday. Hey, you know, congratulations uh, on achieving another year on the, the sun. Right. Um, work anniversaries. It, so it doesn't have to be you know, grand gestures. But when people feel as though, hey, this guy sees me, he recognizes me that that goes a long way. But, yeah, companies are definitely poaching talent and, and it's kind of like almost like a re- revolving door sometimes. But I think if you set up an environment uh, where people feel valued, um, their thoughts are cherished and, you know, they they have that opportunity to, you know, have a seat at the table. Let's have this discussion that goes a long way and that builds that loyalty that you need. You know, before is was the pension. Right. Those days are gone. <laughs> people can take their 401k and and go wherever it is they want. So if you want to be successful, you have to adjust to the environment. And so I think that's one of the the, the key adjustments.
1: Um, that's great. Thank you. It's our tradition that Lucas gets the last question. So what do you got?
2: Doug? So something that I felt was um, unique in this conversation that we don't often talk about is kind of like, we're talking about building the coaching culture and, uh, we're often looking at it from, you know, experienced managers or leaders perspective, and you've kind of brought like, the other side of it out a lot. Like, you know, what is it like being coached? And how do you be a good coachee, um, so to speak? So is there anything that you would say to people entering the workforce? Any advice? Like, how do you kind of contribute to the culture as like, a new hire? So that's a a great point. One
0: is to recognize you don't know half of what (laughs) it is you think you know. And when I try to help, you know, folks and veterans transitioning out of of the uh, service, and I'm not biased, so I help folks across the service um, (laughs) that reach out to me. But what I try to help them understand is you have to translate your military experience to a gap or need for that organization. Coming out of the the, the military, yes, we, we know that you have leadership, but don't exclude the leadership that individuals who've been in corporate America over two decades mm-hmm. have as well, right? Those individuals didn't achieve success, you know, just by just by accident or happenstance. So I think, you know, that's part of the conversation, getting them to understand what their role has been and what it, how that translates into what corporate America is looking for. And part of that is a common understanding of terms, right? If you have your resume and it's just littered with acronyms that are DOD specific, it means nothing, right? In corporate America, they want to know how many people you've led, right? What size had that organization, what size budget you've, you've managed, how you've managed that budget, what impact you've made, And so what I tell folks all the time is, you know, don't go to your your evaluation, just tell me what you did, right? It has to have an impact because in corporate America, it's about impact. It's about profit and loss. Like I said, you have to be able to, you know, translate your experience into what's going to drive revenue for that organization. And especially in cybersecurity, which is very expensive, it's typically an overhead um, unless you're in a cybersecurity business that's selling that, you know, like as a service, but if you're a corporation, that you know, that's just overhead. That's just an expense and investment that you need to make. So being able to understand that it is very important. Once you get into that organization, observe, learn, be a part of the process. Don't don't come in thinking that you know, hey, i um, especially for senior officers, right, it, it, or a senior enlisted that you know has achieved the pinnacle in the military right it can be very humbling to come into an organization with individuals that have great experiences as well so coming in you know observing learning asking you know great questions relying on your coaches figuring out who within the organization that you can you know start to develop that relationship with to help in that transition because some of it is is company specific and some of it is a, a little bit broader so i think you know coming in you know, with an open mindset, that at least that's what I did, right? And then offering how you bring value and how you can assist. So when I was at VMware, again having a great cybersecurity background and experience, I understood what they were looking for. And uh, when the opportunities came, hey, I can help you with this, and this is how I would help you. You know, do this. Oh, great! You know, no one's going to force you to lower your hand, right? If you volunteer to take on, you know, you know some actions and activities. So in the Marine Corps, they tell you never volunteer. In corporate America, you know, taking on those those hard roles and uh, responsibilities can, can help set you apart from, from your peers. And that's the same, right? You, people look for individuals who are going to be positive contributors who can take on and manage the equities of that organization and bring it to the, the next level. So, you know, as a mentee or as a player you know, in that vernacular or a client when I have these conversations if that's what it centers around how can I best present my talents and abilities as value you know to the organization and you know when it comes up to be roadblocks or and it we're all human right you know, human dynamic does not change so there's going to be personality you know conflicts and disputes and you know how do you orchestrate that in in the civilian world it's a different dynamic right it's a different different way of, of doing business a different way you you get to uh, speak with individuals so that's what I tell folks all the time you know come in figure out you know who the key players are what your role in life is and embrace that that new role be a part of it don't don't be on the outside looking in. Get over the imposter syndrome. You have all of the talents and abilities that you know you have inherently, but it can be a little bit overwhelming in the civilian world. But that's what, you know, coaching and mentoring is all about. So.
1: Well, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much uh, for being our distinguished guest today. And uh, we'll keep in touch, I hope, certainly on my behalf.
0: Absolutely. I'm I'm not sure how distinguished, but I enjoyed being a guest. I enjoyed the conversation and and the dialogue. Uh, Definitely very illuminating for me and uh, hope to be a contributor in any way that I can. if it helps, one, then then it's worth it.
1: Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts maybe stop and give us a rating or review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.